You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Here's the thing. You're busy. You're a professional. Maybe you're a pharmacist, and you know you're capable of doing more, doing much more, and living a more organized, less stressful, purposeful, and freedom-driven life. Let's talk, let's share, and let's grow together as an industry, as healthcare providers, and as a better unified community. It may seem like some of these things don't easily fit together. After all, what do career coaching, marketing strategy, networking, and pharmacy have in common? Welcome to the Rx Buzz. Your host is a pharmacist, a wife, a mother, an entrepreneur, and a proven motivational career coach, Ashley Clevens Hayes. This is the Rx Buzz Podcast, a collaboration between Rx Ashley and the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Good morning, Rx Buzz listeners. Ashley here from Rx Ashley, and I wanted to bring on a special guest with me today. Ann Kearns is my intellectual property attorney, but also happens to be, I don't know if you know this, Ann, but you're like a mentor to me. I really admire you. You have been through really all of the weeds of building out the new Rx Ashley brand. And I just want to welcome you to the Rx Buzz. Thanks for having us or thanks for being with me. I'm so happy to be here. (laughs) And we've been kind of trying to plan this podcast out for like six months now. So I appreciate us having this in as far in advance as possible and you being flexible with my crazy schedule. So I just want to appreciate you first and foremost for your time. And especially you have such a a unique area of expertise in what you bring to startup world. So thanks again for being here with us. I'm Um, so happy to be here and it's such a pleasure to always work with you. (laughs) Um, Why don't you go ahead and introduce the audience, um, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself and tell us about your area of expertise and what you do. Sure. So again, my name is Ann Kearns and I've been a practicing attorney for over 20 years, probably 25 by now. And I focus on intellectual property uh, and commercial transactions and litigation and e-commerce. So I help startups mostly with um, taking care of their IP, their copyrights, their trademarks, their e-commerce issues like uh, their privacy policies, their terms of service, their independent contractor agreements, all the types of things that startups, uh, especially e-commerce businesses, need when they get going. And uh, I was a hardcore litigator for uh, about 23 years doing mostly IP litigation, uh, trademarks and copyrights. And then I started my own law firm a couple of years ago and really am focusing on consulting with startups and e-commerce businesses. And uh, I'm, I'm super excited to be here and to give you um, general information about intellectual property and trademarks. Of course, this is just general information and it shouldn't be relied on uh, as legal advice. And if you need any help with your legal advice, please reach out to a qualified attorney. And we will make sure to hook our audience up with your contact information at the end of the show. And we'll include everything in the show notes. But first and foremost, I want to tell everyone how I met Anne. Um, (laughs) I am involved with a lot of different Facebook groups and that's how I've been able to network and meet a lot of the people that I work, independent contractors that I work with. And I posted one day you know, back when I had this idea of starting Rx Ashley, I posted one day, I don't even know where to start. (laughs) Um, And someone, you know, with the blog and with starting 
the podcast and starting just building out my website, I posted, uh, I need support in just starting. And I don't really know what that looks like. And I had a few people tell me, why don't you meet with an intellectual property attorney just to get yourself protected? And I was like, I don't even know what that means, but it sounds good. <laughs> and, um, and it sounded right to me. And uh, I was led through another organization and um, to, to Anne. So Anne and I have been meeting on and off for like the last 18 months, just talking about, you know, what it means to protect yourself and what it means to protect your business. So what I want to focus on today is really the, the overall umbrella term of intellectual property. And I think as a traditional pharmacist or as a healthcare provider, you know, I never was exposed to any of this terminology. I mean, I've taken law classes in my master's in health administration. I've taken law classes in pharmacy school and in undergrad, but that was like healthcare law. None of this, none of the education that I've had was really geared towards entrepreneurship. And I think as entrepreneurs, one of the most fundamental things you can do for your business is protecting your business. And one of that way, one of the ways is protecting your business is by getting some, some really tight strings around your intellectual property. So and I'm going to lean on you for some support. I'm still learning. So remember, you're totally teaching me still. <laughs> um, so first and foremost, can you just explain to, to me what exactly is intellectual property? Sure. Intellectual property are those intangible assets of a business. Um, so for example, you've got your copyrights, your trademarks, your trade secrets, and your patents. And a lot of people confuse copyright and trademark. Copyrights um, deal with things that are content. So when you, and it has to be in a fixed form. So for example, if you write a book, that's content. That book is copyrightable. Or you paint a picture. Or you have a website and you have text and you have pictures. So it's, think, I think of copyright as content. Trademark, on the other hand, is your brand identity. Think Nike. Think McDonald's. It's when you hear a, a, a trademark, you automatically associate it with a brand. Uh, it can be in the form of a word like Nike. It can be a logo like the Nike swoosh. It could be a tagline like the Nike tagline of just do it. And it comes in other shapes and forms like smells, sounds. Think of the NBC chime. That right. is trademark. That's trademark. Oh, that's, that's so crazy. I know exactly <laughs> what you're thinking. <laughs> that, yeah, exactly. So when you, when you hear the bell, you think yeah. of NBC. Wow. So there's even a trademark for a smell, a minty mm -hmm. uh, patch. Um, there's a trademark for colors. Uh, think the Tiffany blue box. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a trade, you can, the trademark on packaging, product configuration. Wow. Uh, for, yeah, so the, the range is pretty broad. Um, for those more unusual trademarks, they're a little harder to get. Um, the usual ones are just the, the names and the taglines and the logos. And then, of course, you have your patents. And I actually don't do patent law, but that's, you know, when we're dealing with inventions. Uh, and then you have trade secrets. And the trade secrets are the things that um, you don't let anybody know about, but they're proprietary to your company. For example, Coca-Cola, they have a trade secret in uh, how they make their soda. We don't ever know what that formula is. Um, and most companies have trade secrets like customer lists or vendors and so on, formulas, algorithms, whatever that may be. 
Yeah. And these, all of these things fall under the umbrella of intellectual property. And it's really the crown jewels of a company. They're intangible, so you can't really touch them. They're not like a product, but they are um, often what makes the company valuable. So it's really important that a company from the get-go ties up the loose ends with their IP, make sure that they have the actual rights into their IP. So for example, if I hire a photographer to take a photograph, well, under copyright law, that photographer owns the copyright. Right. I need to get an assignment from them to own the copyright. So you want to make sure your copyrights are tied up, trademarks, and, and we'll talk a lot about trademarks today. The trademarks, you want to be on top of it. You want to make sure no one else is using it um, because you want to probably register that trademark down the road. And if someone else has a registered trademark, you can't register it. But the worst case scenario is if somebody's using it and then they come after you right. with a cease and desist letter and they say, uh-uh, I've already got this trademark. You can't use it. You better stop using it. And by the way, if you don't, I'm going to sue you or I want damages from you. And then you're acting in a reactive mode. And um, that's one of the biggest problems for startups is that they don't think about um, or know, really. I mean, ignorance is not bliss in this instance because they don't know what they don't know. Right. And that's one of my jobs is to work with startups to let them know what they need to know from the get-go. I mean, it's the same thing for, for, for medical laws and pharmacy laws, particularly with this audience, is that you are required to know the law even if you don't know the law. So I think it's very similar to the analogy of just because you didn't know doesn't mean you shouldn't know or you're allowed to not know. You, you have to know. Yeah, exactly. You have to know. Ignorance doesn't matter with the right. law. Right. Okay. So breaking it down for me, if someone has an idea in their head about starting a business, how do they even know they have intellectual property? Well, okay, so let's say you have an idea about a business. We're going to break that down into a few things. And we're not going to talk about patents because, again, I'm not a patent. No, let's just focus on trademark and copyright. Okay, so let's say I have an idea for a business. Well, first, most people who have their ideas for a startup business, they already know the trade name that they want to go under and the trademark. Usually, that sometimes that comes first or it comes hand in hand. So they pin a trademark to their business idea and then they get married to it, right? They love it. They have talked to their colleagues. They all approve. Their mother approves. You know, they, then they're stuck with it in their head. There's no, there's no moving from that. And, and that can be a problem down the road. But so they come up with a trademark and then they have the ideas for the business. Okay. Well, an idea doesn't really have a lot of protection. You have to to have copyright in anything, that idea has to be in a um, tangible form. So you can write out a business plan. The business plan might have a copyright in it. Um, you can start taking pictures and those have copyrights in it. The idea itself, not really protectable. The only way to protect an idea is to have a non-disclosure agreement when you decide to disclose that idea to somebody. So for example, if you're going to make some clothing and you go to a factory and you want to show them your designs, but you don't want them to disclose the designs, right. then you have them sign an NDA. Hmm. That's interesting. So I feel like as people start to branch out and they work with affiliate organizations, is an NDA something that you should keep in mind? Absolutely. And okay. most, most affiliate partner programs have NDAs built into those contracts. Okay. Awesome. Okay. So do you think that this is 
more important than any other? I mean, obviously I'm speaking to an intellectual property attorney. So you're going to say that this is the most important thing when you start yeah. because I have a lot of people that turn to me that say, no, I have this idea for a side hustle or I have this idea for a new company. No, where do I even start? And at what point is this should be the first thing that you do? What I like to tell startups that your trademark clearance is probably the most important thing you do from the get-go because it affects so many things down the road. It will affect potentially your actual trade name, your business name. When you get your DBA or your LLC, many times your trademark is the same thing as your trade name, whatever business entity that may be. And you want to clear it. You want to make sure that that name is okay. Um, and then that trade name which is also can act as your trademark, is used for all of your other business documentation. So when you get your federal tax ID number, when you get your city registration, when you get your county DBA, all of these things, usually, you know, you want to get the clearance from the trademark first so that you don't have to later change any of that. Mm -hmm. And then it affects, sometimes it affects your domain name, right? Yeah. So you want, typically you want your domain and your, your trademark to be the same. It's pretty hard to do these days because most of the, the great domains are taken and you end up using, you know, the word my or mm -hmm. shop at the end of it just so that you can get the domain. But that affects, your trademark will affect what domain name you get. Um, it'll affect when you're doing your website, you know, you're trying to get all of your trademark information on your website, you need to have your logo all of that stuff really um, is affected by the clearance of your trademark. If down the road you decide you hadn't already done a trademark clearance and down the road a year or two later, you hire an attorney and they do a trademark clearance and it comes back that someone else is using a similar trademark within your industry and you're going to have to make a tough decision. Mm -hmm. Do you just fly under the radar as you have been doing or do you rebrand? Sometimes it's a good opportunity to rebrand, but that can get expensive. And I promise you that most startups are married to their trademark and they don't want to change until they get, get that cease and desist letter. So um, if you do all of this up front, you don't have to worry about it down the road. So what are the requirements of a trademark? A trademark uh, has a couple of requirements to be a valid trademark. It has to be distinctive. And what that means is it has to be either fanciful or arbitrary or suggestive. Let me give you some exam examples of that. Fanciful. I don't even know what that means. Fanciful. It's like a made up <laughs> word. Like, okay. like Kodak. Everyone okay. uses Kodak is a fanciful because no one, it's just a made up word. Got it. Um, an arbitrary word would be like camel cigarettes. Camel uh -huh. is a real thing, but it's for something completely different. Cigarette. Uh -huh. Um, suggestive would be something like a greyhound bus. So greyhound is a dog that's fast yeah. and it gets somewhere. So it's suggestive. Yeah. But what you can't have is something that's merely descriptive. A merely descriptive word, uh, trademark would be something like cold and creamy ice cream. So that's merely descriptive of the, the product that you're selling. The trademark office will say, nope, that's merely descriptive. But there is an exception. The exception is if that merely descriptive trademark acquires what's called secondary meaning, which means over time, people have begun to associate yeah. that merely descriptive trademark with the brand. The trademark uses, office uses a benchmark of about five years. 
it's just a benchmark. Sometimes they require additional um, evidence to show that it has acquired secondary meaning. But if you try to uh, register something that's merely descriptive with those first five years, they're going to say, nope, you're not going to be able to register it on the principal register. We'll throw it in the supplemental register, which is like the sister register of the, the main trademark um, register. And so, and then the other things you, you can't register as of today, an immoral trademark, but that's going, I think that's up to the Supreme Court. They may have a case that... What, is, what do you mean, Im, like immoral? Who defines immoral or not? Okay, so for example, <laughs> exactly. I don't want to get like too sensitive. <laughs> I'm just curious. So there are trademarks that have swear words in it. Oh, um, yeah, I know um, one. Okay. <laughs> right. And I think that's, I think I just read that it's up for the Supreme Court review. I, I can't remember. Um, they recently, I think uh, a year or two ago, the Supreme Court, decided that, um, you know, racial, racially motivated trademarks mm -hmm. were, um, were allowed. They were originally not allowed and now they're allowed under the first amendment. So, um, so essentially you need to have a distinctive trademark. That's your first thing. Distinctive again is fanciful, arbitrary, suggestive. You want to stay away from merely uh, descriptive, yeah. but if you go talk to a marketing person, Who's doing they're gonna, a trademark? They're just like going to go out. <laughs> I can only imagine. They want a merely descriptive trademark. Right, right. They want, they want the world to know what you're doing. Right. Okay. Well, you might not get a, a registered trademark then. And it's going to be harder to prove that you have that trademark. So interesting. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's a constant battle. It is a constant battle. Um, and then, so that's your first thing to be a valid trademark. And then the other thing is um, you don't want it to be confusingly similar right. to right. another trademark. And there's kind of like a two-part test that the trademark office applies, and that is, is it similar in sight and sound and impression, right? So if you look at it, do they look similar? Do they sound similar? And then are they in related industries? Mm -hmm. So for example, um, if I wanted to do a car call or clothing, let's say called Toyota, Maybe, I mean, Toyota is such a strong brand, right. it might be hard, and they might have clothing that they sell. So it's sort of a weird example. But if the two industries are so opposite, but they have the same or a confusingly similar name, the trademark office might say, they're so separate, no one is going to confuse the two. Right. Now, they don't have to be exactly the same either. They can overlap. So for example, you could have a trademark that's only for shoes, and then a similar trademark that's only for underwear. And the trademark office is going to say, those are both clothing items and they overlap. Wow. Okay. So how do I know if, well, first of all, is the only way to find all this out by going through an intellectual property attorney like yourself, or could someone do this on their own? A person could do it on their own with limitations. Okay. So you really, at the end of the day, need to hire a trademark attorney to do the clearance for you. And the clearance involves a few things. One, determining if the trademark is even a trademark, you know, right? So if you came to me with a swear word, I might say, oh, you're going to have some problems, whether it's um, fanciful, arbitrary, or, su or suggestive. You know, it might fall under the immor immoral um, part. So you have them analyze that and then you have them do a trademark search in twofold. One is on the USPTO database and that trademark search involves not just exactly the same names, but confusingly similar names and trademark attorneys use different algorithms for that. So for example, if um, 
I wanted to trademark the name Likey for shoes, <laughs> they're probably going to be confusingly similar. Mm-hmm. But if any old person just types in Nike, you're probably not, or Likey rather, in the database, I don't know if it'll Nike right. go up. You have to use the algorithm to get all of the similar sounding ones come up. Wow. But the USPTO database search is not the only search that someone has to do. And this is where it gets a little complicated. So that's just if you want to register a trademark. There's also called a common law search. And under uh, US law, a trademark uh, owner gets trademark rights, not from registration, but they get rights from using the trademark. So the first person to use the trademark in commerce in any geographic area has priority over anybody else, mm-hmm. whether they've registered that trademark or not. So for example, Anne Kern's law, assuming that's a valid trademark, I live in the San Francisco Bay Area. That's where most of my clients are, although I do cater all over. Um, I have that, those trademark rights in the, the San Francisco Bay Area. Mm-hmm. I have them in Nebraska, where I've never uh, helped anybody. This is so fascinating. So if you decide not to get a trademark registration, but you have a common law trademark, um, you're really limited in where you can enforce those right. rights. Got it. So overall... Overall, the benefit of the trademark is the benefit of having a trademark. Well, (laughs) the the benefit of having, you mean like a registration or just having a trademark? Well, yeah, sorry, being a registered trademark. So I, I would always want someone to have a trademark registration because it gives you nationwide protection and there's a presumption that your trademark is valid. So if I register my trademark, I don't have to prove to anybody that it passed that first initial test because a USPTO said, mm-hmm. okay, it's valid. It's, it's uh, fanciful or suggestive and it doesn't, it's not confusingly similar with anybody on the, the database. Um, so I at least pass that test and can use that as my own presumption. And then I get nationwide protection, meaning I don't have to prove every geographic area that I've used it. I just get it automatically. And so having that registration, when I want to go enforce my rights, I can show this trademark registration, give it to the other person and say, you better stop using it because I've got this registration. Here's, here's the caveat. Right. Yeah. They could come back and say, you might have that registration, but I started using this and mm. I have rights that predate your registration. Oh gosh. And if that's the case, then I can't enforce it against them in that geographic area. Oh, wow. This is fascinating. (laughs) I know. (laughs) So interesting. So common law really is powerful. Common law can be powerful if you're using it before anybody else. Right. But it's hard to prove. So here's the problem, proving your geographic scope. Well, especially with the internet. I mean, what is a scope if it's online? Exactly. Exactly. And so the cases are just starting to develop now on what does it mean to have an online presence? Well, okay, if I had, if everyone in the country was coming to my website and reading my blogs and my articles and downloading and it was really interactive with my law website, I could maybe make a claim that I have a geographic presence. But if they're not my clients then a court of law might say, yeah, just, it's just not enough. It's very difficult to prove geographic scope. 
So that's why it's always better to have a registration so that you don't have to prove it. And that can get to data analytics. I, I have clients that they have to prove it. And I'm like, okay, I need to have your, your Google analytics to see how many people I remember. Okay. I Okay. Here it is. And so no, but it's thorough. It's so important. It's, it's cause you know what you're talking about. And another thing, and this is slightly off topic, but still on topic, hiring experts to support you in developing your ideas is one of the most important things for your business and the thrive, continue thriving in your business is remembering you simply aren't good at everything. There are people out there that are experts in every, everything. I mean, I heard last night there was a copywriter for quizzes. So this girl I know is an expert copywriter just for quizzes. I mean, that's impressive. And so <laughs> I, I just, I can't stress enough that a lot of my clients out there are working on developing businesses and they get so hung up on, they don't know, they get so stressed out because they don't know, you know, all of the finite details of what goes into a business. And that's why this, this stuff kind of takes a long time to get going because all these finite details, you really have to have experts like Anne on your team who can support you and make sure that your business continues to thrive. Yeah. So, and, and like I said, you don't know what you don't know either. And, but that doesn't mean that you're innocent. <laughs> right, right. Well, right. So right. I think that's, this is one of the reasons why I wanted to bring you on because I think, well, first and foremost, I trust you. And two, I think that people, especially in, in my arena that are trying to start businesses, we don't know this stuff. I mean, it's not, quote unquote, innate or natural for us to know this. We're clinicians. So mm -hmm. it's important for us to have thriving businesses to have to lean on people like you for this type of support. Okay. So jumping back into the trademark specifically, mm -hmm. what happens if you come into an issue where there is someone who else, who, who's out there with the same or similar trademark as you? Right. So it kind of depends again, if you have a registered mark or they have a registered mark and who was first in the geographic area. So let's say you have, you're pretty set where you are. You have a common law uh, trademark in your geographic area. You had done a search before, no one's there. So you're, you're on solid ground. And you find out someone in the next town over has a confusingly similar mark. Then, and it's in your industry or an overlapping right. industry. <clears throat> well, it's a good idea to... Um, uh, it, well, if you have no rights in that geographic area and, and your geographic area does not overlap in their geographic area, so let's say you're, you're 10 towns over, right? So there, there's a lot of space in between uh -huh. the towns. Then you don't really have any rights against them in that geographic area if you have a common law mark. Now, let's say you have a registration and they come along after you. Well, you're going to want to enforce your trademark rights because if you let everyone just take your trademark, it's going to dilute it, mm -hmm. it's going to make it weaker, right. and it could be considered um, that you've abandoned your trademark by letting other people use it. Who determines if, I guess maybe, who determines if there is a breach of right. trademark? So... Well, first your attorney would say to you, hey, uh, we do a search and we say, hey, this guy over here is using your trademark. You have a registration. You have priority. We need to shut him down. So we send a cease and desist. Okay. So it starts with the attorney. Okay. And then let's say the other guy has a 
a good attorney and he's like, well, wait a second. Uh, turns out we were using this before you. Right. And then we say, no, you weren't. And then they give me their Google data. And I say, this isn't good enough. This doesn't prove anything. So then I say, we're going to sue you. And we file a lawsuit. And then if the lawsuit goes forward and you can either have a judge decide it or a jury, if it goes all the way to the end, um, that's going to cost you a lot of money right. um, to do that. So ultimately it could get solved that way. Typically what happens though, is that the two parties settle, they figure out something. Right. Maybe they have a coexistence agreement. They say, okay, I'll stay in this geographic area. You stay in that geographic area and never the two shall meet. That can happen as well. And, it. and it does happen a lot. Okay. This is so, and this, you know, as, as my, and just speaking for my brand, <clears throat> as my brand continues to grow, it's interesting to see what else pops up out there and what comes across my way and what other people are asking me and then turning into themselves. And so mm -hmm. it, it's been, um, eye opening for me on a personal standpoint. I have seen copycats mm -hmm. <laughs> and it, it hurts my heart a little bit because I feel like they're not, not, I don't think it's intentional, but using my information without giving me credit and I feel weird about it, but how do I approach that? What do you recommend? Like if, if it's under my intellectual property. So, so if you're talking about like your website, you have, yeah. you have content that people right. are taking. Maybe they're, maybe they're linking to it. Maybe they're cutting and pasting wholesale, whatever that may be. But what you want to first do is you want to make sure you have copyright registrations for your content. Right. So, and the reason is because um, down the road, if you have to ever have to file a lawsuit for copyright infringement, you need to have a registration. The same is not true for trademark, but for copyright uh, enforcement to sue, you have to have a registration. It doesn't registration mean for what a copyright. So you similar to the trademark, you can also file for a copyright registration with the copyright office. Wow. Okay. And uh, again, you don't need to have the registration to actually have a copyright. Copyrights happen basically as soon as you put the idea down on paper. Whether okay. As soon as you put the paintbrush to the right. camera, right. you have a copyright in that um, painting or whatever content it is. Um, if somebody steals your copyright content, you can um, send them a cease and desist. There's also what's called a DMCA takedown notice, which is, let's say somebody posted something on their Facebook page. They, they cut and paste uh, something from your website and they didn't ask permission. You could send a DMCA takedown notice to Facebook and say, hey, yeah. someone stole my stuff and Facebook has an obligation to take it down. Hmm. The person who infringed has an opportunity to rebut that yeah. in like 20 days or something. Wow. If, if they rebut it, if they say, no, I didn't. Actually, I wrote this all myself and here's the proof. Facebook has to put it back up unless you file a lawsuit. Right. You can only file a lawsuit though if you have a copyright registration. This is mind blowing. I love this <laughs> conversation. I love it. I love it. It's so fun for me because I am knee deep, totally in the weeds of the bit of this business. And I love what I'm doing. And I just want people to know that it's not just about passion or love. It's about really protecting yourself and protecting your hard blood, sweat, and tears. And in order to really 
make your business official, officially official, I think these are steps that you need to take in order to protect yourself. Yeah. And with the internet, it's so easy to, to copy. Oh, so easy. Yeah. So it is, it is really important to get on top of this. And most people don't know, for example, like I used in the initial example um, early on that a photographer who takes a picture for right. you, they own the rights until they assign them. Yeah. To you. And I didn't know that until you told me. So <laughs> I mean, you are in my corner. I love it. I was like, whatever you tell me to do, I'm doing it. <laughs> I, well, okay. So I can talk about this stuff forever because I just love the topic of anything to do with entrepreneurship. I, I soak myself in this and I am immersing myself in this information because quite frankly, it's new to me and it's new to people who are new business owners. So, mm-hmm. um, thank you for sharing Absolutely. your area of expertise with us. If someone wants to learn more about your services, um, how could they reach out to you? You know, the best place is to email me at, uh, I'll give you the, the uh, address first. It's a Kearns at ankernslaw.com. And I'll spell that it's a K E A R N S at a N N E K E A R N S L A W.com. And then you can also go to my website that has my contact information and that's ankernslaw.com. Anne has also provided the audience a downloadable for <laughs> learning about trademarking. It's called a Trademark 101 Checklist. I am going to provide that to you, the listener, in the show notes. I'm telling you, whether or not you actually put your ideas down on paper or if you're thinking about something, one of the first things I definitely don't regret doing is building a relationship and a connection with an air, with an expert in protecting your business. And one of them just so happens to be intellectual property. And I scored with Anne. I referred her to all of my clients, whoever is starting businesses, mm-hmm. because I think I, I feel very really prideful about this, that I want to make sure that my clients are protected and also I'm protecting myself. Um, so, Anne, I appreciate you and your time. And I know that the audience is really going to learn something from today. So thank you so much for jumping on and chatting about this cool stuff. Maybe not cool to everyone, but fascinating to me. <laughs> fascinating to me too. It's my favorite oh, topic. And I know. pleasure speaking with you today. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks Anne again. And I will make sure to include all of your info on our show notes. Fabulous. This was just the beginning. If this was your first time listening to the RX Buzz, we welcome you and thank you for giving us a chance. And if you're an old friend, one of our subscribers, we cherish you and look forward to hearing from you. And now we need your help. We ask that you share this podcast with just one person you know who's in the healthcare industry. If this podcast can help just one person, we believe it will have a chain reaction, having an impact on dozens, hundreds, thousands, and someday millions of people. Thank you for your help. We truly appreciate you. And thank you for listening to the RX Buzz, part of the Pharmacy Podcast Network.